Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, August 28th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org, christianpodcastcommunity.org. Over 60 well-curated podcasts over there, um, probably closer to 70 now. Uh wide, wide variety of topics. I will guarantee you, you're going to find at least something to listen to over there. And there's a very real probability that you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen. And I say that from experience because that's what, (laughs) that's what's happened to me. Um, yeah, it is just amazing, amazing content over there. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there just doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful content creation, great, great discussions, uh, wonderful topic coverage. It's, it's just really worth your while. So I would encourage you to go on over there. Uh, let's see the next to last, uh, link in our show notes is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church gives in go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education based school. Uh, to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do, what our what our goals are. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. Now, the final link in the show notes, and, and again, I'm only going to do this a few more times. Um, I've had multiple people ask me about ways they could financially support the podcast. So what I've done just to get started is through Spotify, who's who I host this through Anchor, um, but it's now, I think it's Spotify for podcasters. They changed the name up. Um, but through that, I turned on the, um, what is it, listener support um, setup or whatever, which turns on a subscription-based system uh, you at different levels and whatever, giving you different uh, different levels to contribute it at monthly. So it's kind of a monthly subscription setup. Um, I've turned that on for now. Um, so that link will take you there so that you can do so if you wish. Um, I am looking into being able to set something up to also allow one time, like a one time gift if you want to do that as well. And again, this is not me stumping, stumping for cash. It does cost a little bit to, to get this out there and for the time I've put in and everything, but I'm not, again, I'm not out here stumping for cash. That That is not the point of this. And nothing I, I create is going to be put behind a paywall. I'm, I'm, my calling here is to bring you the word of God and to try to help you understand it as God meant us to understand it. And none of that, none of that should have to be paid for. Um, so I, I'm not trying to do that. But obviously my wife and I and our, would love and our ministry would love um, any help you wish to give. So again, I guess you, I could say the same thing for us as I did for the Vale Valley Baptist Church gives and go, uh, you know, pray about it, prayerfully consider and pray for us, prayerfully consider giving if you wish to, and then, you know, let other people know about it. I'd, I'd please let other people know about it just so they can come and listen. Not, not that they necessarily contribute, but come and listen. That would be wonderful to have more here listening to the word of God. So, um, oh, and I want to continue to point out that Vale Valley ba- at Vale Valley Baptist Church, we are now streaming online. We had been for a while, but we've adjusted what we're doing. So you can find us streaming at, at, uh, on Facebook at Vale Valley Baptist Church. Um, and you can find over there our service times. Uh, we're going to be doing Sundays and Wednesday nights. Um, and on Twitter, it is at VVB Church would be where you'd find it. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Obviously, it's not a substitute for coming and worship with, worshiping with us in person, but if you're unable to do so, we would love to have you join us online. All right. 
Well, with it being Monday morning, we're going to be getting with our evening segment. We'll be getting back into our Bible study. But what we're going to be doing this morning, like we do every morning, is we're going to be doing reading through our scriptures. Uh, so let's go ahead and open up with the second day morning prayer called God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things. By the word of thy power, darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right, in our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for August 28th, the text for it is from Exodus 25, 6, Oil for the Light. My soul, how much thou needest this, for thy lamp will not long continue to burn without it. Thy snuffs, excuse me, thy snuff will smoke and become an offense if light be gone, and gone it will be if oil be absent. Thou hast no oil well springing up in thy human nature, and therefore thou must go to them that sell and buy for thyself. Or like the foolish virgins, thou wilt have to cry, My lamp is gone out. Even the consecrated lamps could not give light without oil. Though they shone in the tabernacle, they needed to be fed. Though no rough winds blew upon them, they required to be trimmed, and thy need is equally as great. Under the most happy circumstances, thou canst not give light for another hour, unless fresh oil of grace be given thee. It was not every oil that might be used in the Lord's surface. service, neither the petroleum which exudes so plentifully from the earth, nor the produce of fishes, not that extracted from nuts, would be accepted. One oil only was selected, and that the best olive oil. <clears throat> Pretended grace from natural goodness fancied grace from priestly hands or imaginary grace from outward ceremonies will never serve the true saint of god he knows that the lord would not be pleased with rivers of such oil he goes to the olive press of gethsemane and draws his supplies from him who was crushed therein the oil of gospel grace is pure and free from lees and dregs and hence the light which is fed thereon is clear and bright our churches are the Savior's golden candelabra, and if they are to be lights in the dark world, they must have much holy oil. Let us pray for ourselves, our ministers, and our churches, that they may never lack oil for the light. Truth, holiness, joy, knowledge, love, these are all beams of the sacred light, but we cannot give them forth unless in private we receive oil from God the Holy Ghost. All right. And our reading, we're going to be reading Job 28, 29, and 30, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12 through 17, which is the end of that chapter, Psalm 42, and Proverbs 22, verse 7. So Job 28. <clears throat> Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine for gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out, the rock in thick darkness and shadow of death. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth from it comes food. I'm sorry, the earth from it comes food, and underneath it is overturned is overturned as fire. It rock its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He sends his hand forth to the flint, he overturns the mountains at the base. He breaks out channels through the rocks, and his eyes see anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. But where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me, 
and the sea says it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in place of it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot meet its worth, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearl. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot meet its worth, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, With our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way, and he knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he set weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and recounted it. He established it and also searched it out. So he said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Job 29 And Job continued to lift up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God kept me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the prime of my days, when the intimate counsel with God was over my tent when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid, and the old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hidden away, and their tongue clung to their palate. For the ear heard, and it called me blessed, and the eye saw, and it gave witness of me because I provided escape for the afflicted who cried for help, and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart the widow's heart sing for joy. I clothed myself with righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the case which I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unjust and snatched the prey from his teeth. Then I said, I will breathe my last in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is ever new with me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. To me they listened and waited, and kept silent for my counsel. After my words they did not speak again, and my speech dropped on them. They waited for me as for the rain, and opened their mouth as for the late rain. I laughed with them as they could not believe it, and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose a way for them, and sat as chief, and dwelt as their head among the troops, as one who comforted the mourners. Job 30 But now those younger than I laugh at me, whose fathers I rejected even to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what good was the strength of their hands to me? Vigor had perished from them. From want and famine they are gaunt. Who, who gnaw the dry ground for night in destruction, or sorry, who gnaw the dry ground, dry ground by night in destruction and desolation, who pluck mallow by the bushes, and whose food is the root of the broom tree. They are driven from the community, community, they shout against them as against a thief, so that they dwell in the slopes of the valleys, in holes of the dust and of the rocks. Among the bushes they cry out, under the nettles they are gathered together. Wicked fools, even those without a name, they were scourged from the land. And now I have become their mocking song. I have even become a taunting word to them. They abhor me and keep a distance from me, and they do not hold back from spitting at my face. Because he has loosed his bowstring and afflicted me, they have thrust aside their bridle before me. On the right hand their brood arises. They thrust aside my feet and build up against me their ways to disaster. They break up my path. They profit from my destruction. They have no helper. As through a wide breach they come, amid the storm they roll on. Terrors are turned against me. They pursue my nobility as the wind, and my hope for salvation has passed away like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By a great force my garment is distorted. It seizes me about as the collar of my tunic. He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you carefully consider how to be against me. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand you hunted me down. 
you lifted up the wind and caused me to ride, and you melt me away in a storm, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting for all living. Yet does not one in a heap of ruins stretch out his hand, or in his upheaval is there a cry for help because of them? Have I not wept for the one whose life is hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? When I hoped for good, then evil came. When I waited for light, then thick darkness came. I am boiling within and cannot be silent. Days of affliction confront me. I go about darkened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin turns black on me, and my bones burn with fever. Therefore my harp is tur turned to mourning, and my flute to the sound of those who weep. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12-17 now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but saying farewell to them I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and manifests through us the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life, and who is sufficient for these things. For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Psalm 42 For the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the sound of a shout of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Wait for good, for I shall still praise him, for the salvation of his presence. O oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. By day Yahweh will command his loving kindness, and by night his song will be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries reproach me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Wait for God, for I shall still praise him, the salvation of my presence and my God. And finally, Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning. Um, I... I Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for this evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one called contrition. Contrition. Let's pray. O thou most high, it becomes me to be low in thy presence. I am nothing compared with thee. I possess not the rank and power of angels, but thou hast made me what I am and placed me where I am. Help me to acquiesce in thy sovereign pleasure. I thank thee that in the embryo state of my endless being, I am capable by grace of improvement that I can bear thy image, not by submissiveness but by design, and can work with thee and advance thy cause and glory. But alas, the crown has fallen from my head. I have sinned. I am alien to thee. My head is deceitful and wicked, my mind an enemy to thy law. Yet in my lostness thou hast laid help on the mighty one, and he comes between... And he comes, sorry, and he comes between to put his hands on us both. My umpire, daysman, mediator, whose blood is my peace, whose righteousness is my strength, whose condemnation is my freedom, whose spirit is my power, whose heaven is my heritage. Grant that I may feel more the strength of thy grace in subduing the evil of my nature, in loosing me from the present evil world, in supporting me under the trials of life, in enabling me to abide with thee in my valleys, in exercising me to have a conscience void of offense before thee and before men. In all my affairs may I distinguish between duty and anxiety, and may my character and not my circumstances chiefly engage me. 
Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, August 28th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right. Well, we did our morning segment, did our reading there in Job and 2 Corinthians and Psalm and Proverbs. Psalms and Proverbs. And so we're going to be continuing today. Our, um, we're getting back into, like, we, you know, we took the break of the weekend. We're getting back into our study in the Gospel of John in John chapter 12. We are moving into our next section of volume 12. So let's, why don't we just go ahead and jump straight on in. We'll go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with one from Valley Vision. This one is called The Great Discovery. Let's pray. Glorious God, I bless thee that I know thee. I once lived in the world, but was ignorant of its creator, was partaker of thy providences, but knew not the provider, was blind while enjoying the sunlight, was deaf so all things spiritual with voices all around, I'm sorry, was deaf to all things spiritual with voices all around me, understood many things, but had no knowledge of thy ways, saw the world, but did not see, G see Jesus only. O oh, happy day, when in thy love's sovereignty thou didst look on me and call me by grace. Then did the dead heart begin to beat, the darkened eye glimmer with light, the dull ear catch thy echo, and I turned to thee and found thee, a God ready to hear, willing to save. Then did I find my heart at enmity to thee, vexing thy spirit. Then did I fall at thy feet and hear thee thunder, the soul that sinneth, it must die. But when grace made me to know thee and admire a God who hated sin, thy terrible justice held my will submissive. My thoughts were then as knives cutting my head. Then didst thou come to me in silken robes of love, and I saw thy son dying that I might live, and in that death I found my all. My soul doth sing at the remembrance of that peace. The gospel cornet brought a sound unknown to me before that reached my heart. And I lived, never to lose my hold on Christ or his hold on me. Grant that I may always weep to the praise of mercy found, and tell to others, as long as I live, that thou art a sin-pardoning God, taking up the blasphemer and the ungodly, and washing them from their deepest sins, their deepest stain. Amen. Sorry about that. All right. Now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for August 28th. Uh, the text for it is from Isaiah 54, 1. Sing, O barren. Though we have brought forth some fruit unto Christ and have a joyful hope that we are plants of his own right hand planting, yet there are times when we feel very barren. Prayer is lifeless. Love is cold. Faith is weak. Each grace in the garden of our heart languishes and droops. We are like flowers in the hot sun, requiring the refreshing shower. In such a condition, what are we to do? The text is addressed to us in just such a state. Sing, O barren, break forth and cry aloud. But what can I sing about? I cannot talk about the present, and even the past looks full of barrenness. Ah, I can sing of Jesus Christ. I can talk of visits which the Redeemer has aforetimes paid to me. Or if not of these, I can magnify the great love wherewith he loved his people when he came from the heights of heaven for their redemption. I will go to the cross again. Come, my soul, heavy laden thou wast once, and thou didst lose thy burden there. Go to Calvary again, perhaps that very cross which gave thee life may give thee fruitfulness. What is my barrenness? It is the platform for his fruit-creating power. What is my desolation? It is the black setting for the sapphire of his everlasting love. I will go in poverty, I will go in helplessness, I will go in all my shame and backsliding. I will tell him that I am still his child, and in confidence in his faithful heart, even I, the barren one, will sing and cry aloud. Sing, believer, for it will cheer thine own heart, and the hearts of other desolate ones. Sing on, for now that thou art really ashamed of being barren, thou wilt be fruitful soon. Now that God makes thee loath to be without fruit, he will soon cover thee with clusters. The experience of our barrenness is painful, but the Lord's visitations are delightful. 
A sense of our own poverty drives us to Christ, and that is where we need to be, for in him is our fruit found. All right, well, like I said, we're continuing on our continuing on in our study of John chapter 12, um, and we're moving on to the next part. The next part, um, that, that, and like I've said before, I use Dr. MacArthur's, um, the way his commentary breaks things down. I use the titles and the subsections and stuff because it just makes it easier for me to prepare these Bible studies and keep us moving on through here um, and, and give me still time to spend with family and take care of my familial duties. So, what, what Dr. MacArthur caused these next five verses. So we've, we've done verses one through 11. We've done verses one through 11, which was the, uh, which was the climax of love and hate. So we're moving on to this next section. And Dr. MacArthur calls this the King comes to die. The King comes to die. And they're, they're going to end up being like four characteristics of his coming to die. Four things that these next five verses, verses 12 through 16, lay out as he comes to die characteristics that describe his coming to die. So again, we've, you know, we've come through what we've seen. We, John 11, we saw that he is the resurrection and the life. We, we saw the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Um, and we saw Jesus lay out, you know, um, I mean, one make one of the largest, um, or the largest, um, miracle he had done. He raised a man from the dead. I mean, he had previously back in John nine, um, healed the man born blind, gave him sight, the man born blind. And here, here he resurrects, um, Lazarus, which we saw there at the end of 11, the people that saw that many of them started turning to Christ. Many of them started turning to a saving faith. Um, you know, uh, go figure, you know, they're, they're watching this and, and especially those out of the, out of the, um, class of the Pharisees, I would think, because the fair, the Sadducees didn't even believe in, and we talked about that. They didn't even believe in resurrection yet. Here was one resurrected, but the Pharisees did. And I would think what a, what a, what a confirmation of what they believed to have Jesus resurrect this guy, even though they hated this guy. What a, what a, you know, what a confirmation. And if they were even, you know, I mean, we saw that between, you know, Nicodemus and we saw some of the others that, you know, Hey, they're, they're starting to take up and go, wait a minute, maybe this guy really is what he's saying he is. So, so there's, there's some defection going on within the ruling class and there's some defection going on within the average people and the average people really like this guy. Now, don't get me wrong. The average people really like this guy because, oh boy, he did stuff for them. I mean, like I've said before, completely wiped out disease in that time period. Disease is gone. And for you and I, disease, eh, you know, I mean, it's not good. And there, there are diseases out there within our time frame that are extremely deadly. Absolutely. Or there's ones that may be very simple for most people, but become deadly based on comorbidities. And we've heard that term a lot over the last three years. But due to comorbidities, got to be honest, I have a lot of comorbidities. Um, that make me more susceptible to things, but in their time, because they didn't have, um, the drugs and the treatment plans and the diagnostic capability and all of that basic illnesses were deadly. The common cold, deadly, 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 deadly. The, the, the common flu though. Yes, it can be deadly now, but to the, back then, the fatality rate, I'm sure, was much, much higher, much, much higher from from all the, the historical reports, much, much higher than what you and I would experience today, whether they can give us numbers or not. So he's made those go away and he's healed all kinds of other things, things that aren't even necessarily diseases, but but chronic maladies. He's been healing them. I mean, he's he's basically turned this area of Judah and then up into Galilee um, in, in to probably one of the most at that time one of the most um, fit and healthy regions in the world at that point because of what he's doing because of what, and then he turns around here and he heals a one. He gives the man born blind. So man has never had functioning ocular capability and he recreates it and gives him the ability to sight. Then he comes along and he resurrects Lazarus less than two miles from Jerusalem resurrects Lazarus. So like I've talked about, and we've, we've seen throughout the gospel of John and you see it in the other gospels too, 
that you get a dichotomy. You get those that are coming to us that come to a saving faith again, like the woman at the well, the, the people of Sychar, um, there, um, the, the, again, the, the man who was born blind. We see that. And of course, Lazarus and his, and his sisters come to a saving faith, but we also see a lot of, a, a lot of resistance to it. Either, either that or a blaseness about it. Um, again, like the, like the people, um, the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to make him King, but they wanted to, we've talked about, it, they want to make him King because he, they, he gave them a free meal. And, and for them, that was big. That was huge. I mean, I mean, it wasn't just that they were lazy or anything else. Getting a free meal drastically helped you out financially. Okay. I mean, it really, really did. Um, and getting a second one and a third one. And, you know, believe me, it, it would have changed the economy of that area and the economic status of many within Palestine. But that, that wasn't Jesus' purpose. Um, nor was in, that within Jesus' time frame. So, like I said, so we, we, we come through that. So there's that dichotomy. And so we came into this first part of John chapter 12, like I said, the climax of love and hate. And we saw the heartfelt service and the, of, of Martha and the, and the humble sacrifice of Mary. But then we saw the hypocritical self-interest of Judas. So, so the first two were the love. These last three are the hate. The hypocritical self-interest of Judas. Judas has been looking for his own agenda. I mean, don't don't ever get that wrong. A lot of people want to want to feel sad for Judas. Um, you know, oh, Judas. Yeah, he was foreordained to do this. Blah blah blah. It, Judas would have done it anyways. I'm mean, foreordained or not. I, I'm not saying anybody can subvert God or anything like that. But this was Judas's choice. He wanted a political militaristic savior, like sad, sadly most of Palestine wanted that. Most of Israel wanted that at that time. That's what they were looking for. They were not looking for a spiritual savior. They didn't want a spiritual savior. Well, neither did Judas. So Judas kept hoping this guy would eventually declare himself king so Judas could be at his right hand. It wasn't even so much that he wanted a king to throw off the Roman yoke, though he did, but he wanted it so he could be sitting at the guy's right hand. That, that was really what it was. It was a hypocritical self-interest. We saw the hollow superficiality of the people. They were following Jesus around. They were following Lazarus around. And, the, and they came back there when Jesus showed up for the meal. Had They had that meal there at the beginning of John, cha John chapter 12. Um, because, hey, here's the guy who was resurrected. Here's the guy who did it. You know, it, it's, it's kind of the, you know, the name dropping. Ooh, yeah, I went and rubbed elbows with this guy. I went and rubbed, you know, it was that kind of thing. But then we saw, but even that is a hate because you either accept Christ or you don't. If you accept Christ, great, saving faith. If you don't, you hate. There, There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But then we saw the hostile scheming of the leaders. They're now not only planning on killing Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus because even if they kill Jesus, here's Lazarus who's clear indication of who this man was that they've just killed and at this point they're afraid to kill him and we need to come into this so what we're coming into here in verses 12 through 16 like i said it's the king coming to die and here are some basic descriptors some characteristics around him coming to die and the first one we're going to look at is he's coming to die at the proper moment so what we got to, what we got to realize here. Okay. So here's the context coming in here. So this is leading up on the Passover. The Passover was a huge, and I, and I've said this before was very, very nationalist. I mean, I mean, it really makes from, from everything I've read, all the study I've done, it really makes our 4th of July celebrations look like amateur hour. It really did. It was hugely nationalistic for them hugely nationalistic for them. Um, and here is this Passover coming, but also here is, and so, and if you don't know what Passover, what that's meaning, that's the celebration of the fact of the, the, the angel coming and them marking their doors as God had told them through Moses, marking their doors with the blood of the lamb that they had sacrificed to, to eat and protect them. And that blood marked out their houses to be left alone. And the firstborn of everybody else's that wasn't marked, firstborns died, animals and humans. Okay. So that's the Passover. It, it would pass over them. So that was a celebration where they were protected and where the Lord struck out at those who had been oppressing them. 
Okay, so very nationalistic. Think about it. I mean, it just makes sense. Very nationalistic. So this is what this is the feast we're coming into here. Okay, this is the week before the Passover. The Passover, the sacrificing of the lamb happens on the Friday, and then you have the Sabbath. Okay, there's the Sabbath, thus the celebration. Okay, so sacrifice the pa- the lamb on Friday. Think about it, Friday. Sacrifice the lamb on Friday. So this is happening has happened around the weekend before. Um, and the indication is that Jesus showed up at Bethany either Saturday, the Sabbath before, or maybe midnight Friday or, or after dusk Friday night when the Sabbath began, when the Sabbath began. So basically six days out, that's the six days we saw there at the beginning of John chapter 12, like verse one, but they're planning to kill Jesus. But the crowds love Jesus because what Jesus is giving them and doing to them. And no, it's not a saving faith, but it still puts the the religious leaders in big, big, big jeopardy, especially if they kill him here during the Passover celebration here during the week where everybody's purifying and everything like that and preparing so they can truly partake. They had to purify to, to, to properly partake of the Passover and all of that. And if they up and kill Jesus during this time, there's liable to be a revolt against them, which of course would draw down the Romans and everything like that. So their idea really is they're going to wait till after their, their plan is not to start yet. Yeah. There's been a couple times they've tried to grab him and we're going to actually go through some of those verses. They've tried to grab him or to throw stones at him, which I don't, I, you know, people, have, uh, you know, I, I've seen commentators go, yeah, this is the first time they really planned out to kill him except I'm sorry, you don't pick up stones to throw at somebody because the kind of stones they're talking about in their time, if you're picking up stones, you meant to kill somebody. You were intending to kill somebody. So this isn't the first they planned on killing. And this is just the first they've made a plan to kill, but they're not planning to start it yet. So again, we come into our verses today, verses 12 through 16, the king comes to die. but our section at the proper moment. So let me read the verses, uh, John 12 verses 12 through 16 on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel and Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it as it is written. Fear not daughter of Zion. Behold, your King is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. All right, so all we're dealing with today is the first four words of of verse 12, on the next day. And again, I said, we're talking about at the proper moment, at the proper moment. So king comes to die at the proper moment. So let me be clear first, um, in going through multiple commentaries, I think I went through nine different commentaries. They all have different opinions as to whether this is Sunday, this on the next day is Sunday, the first day of the week or Monday. Now, while I'm sure I, I, and Dr. MacArthur thinks it's Monday, um, but I could see an argument for Sunday. The thing is, while I'm sure we could spend a bunch of time parsing through the language to try to make a determination of which is right, that's not really the point of these four words. Okay, so Sunday, Monday doesn't matter. The fact is, as we get through um, this Passion Week, it's very, very clear when Jesus is taken and when he's crucified. Thursday and Friday. We know that for, we know that for a fact. It is very, very clear. It's very clearly told. So whether this was Sunday or Monday, um, and, and actually because of the way they do that, the next day actually starts at dusk of the day of what you and I would consider the day before. So like the Sabbath starts at dusk on Friday, starts at dusk on the, on the 12th hour of the day. Cause again, we've, they have 12 hours a day, 12 hours of night. Typically it would kind of run from about 6am to 6pm. That's day. And then 6pm to 6am the next morning would be night, except the night 6, 6pm 6 to 6am 
was the next day. That's that's how they looked at it. So again, so again, we can make all those arguments, but the fact is, doesn't really matter. Really, I mean, you're talking a difference of reference of maybe twelve hours. It doesn't really matter. That's not the point. But what we have to realize, like I said, the Jewish leadership, they're trying to control when this happens. Jesus takes that out of their hands. Jesus takes their hands out of their hands. Thus, at the proper moment. We've spoken previously, I know we've spoken about it on this program, about Jesus working on God's timetable. And we explicitly addressed it this way back in John chapter 7, verse 10. But when his brothers, this was going up to the Feast of Tabernacles, and his brothers had been saying, hey, are you going to come? Hey, you're going to come? Hey, you're going to come? And and making recommendations that he come to increase his base, his, his, his disciple base. And he said, no. He said, it's not the right time. Verse 10, but when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as in secret. So, And we talked about it. He went up in the middle of the feast again. And we talked about it at the time. There's clear indication. Now, this is following already that in John 6, where he'd fed the 5,000, and they wanted to turn around and make him king, and he prevented them from doing it. And, and again, we're going to actually, we'll get there. I think I actually included that in here. Um, that, you know, he explicitly stopped them because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to be acknowledged as king. That wasn't the point yet. But knowing that they were already tending towards this, for him to show up at the beginning of the feast of the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles, could have caused this. And again, this is was six months prior to this final Sabbath, this final um, Passover. I mean, um, that it's not yet time. So Jesus is managing this timetable. He's managing God's timetable. Not not that he's controlling God, but he's doing things this way, so that things happen in God's time on God's timetable. Thus why we say the king comes to die at the proper time. Matthew 12, verses 14 and 15. And we see a lot of, a lot of examples of this management of the timeline. Matthew 12, verses 14 and 15. But going out, the Pharisees took counsel together against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. It wasn't yet God's time, so he withdrew from there. Matthew 16, verses 20 and 21. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Again, he knows the timetable and he's laying out for them. These are the things that are going to have to happen and they're going to have to happen in this order and at this time. Uh, John 11, verse 53 and 54. We've already seen that. That was We dealt with that last week. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk openly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Again, we talked about that. That was about 15 miles outside of Jerusalem, um, towards the north somewhere, towards the wilderness. He, he backed out of there because they were already, they were already wound up because, and they were already making plans to kill him. That was John chapter 11. And so he removed himself from there because it wasn't quite time yet. Again, this was maybe two, three weeks, a month, something like that, a month and a half from the Sabbath, before the Sabbath. So not yet time. So he distanced himself so it didn't happen outside of God's time. Not that God's going to let it that way, but he's it's managing the timeline. This is how God is managing that timeline through Christ and through his actions. Uh, Luke 4, 28 through 30. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. This was him preaching in Nazareth, him it, it, preaching to his own people. Um, filled with rage as they heard these things, and they stood up and drove him out of the city and led him to the edge of, his, of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. Again, it wasn't time yet. Wasn't that, wasn't that he wasn't going to be crucified, that he wasn't going to be killed, but it wasn't time yet. He's managing that. Uh, John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. This again, this was, this was where I was talking about that. You don't pick up stones to throw at this point, unless you're meaning to kill. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Again, it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Um, and then, then you see clear indication, even after his death, Acts 2, 23, 
This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. Again, very clearly that what they did was God's predetermined plan, that they didn't have any control over it. God did. Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Again, this was a prayer speaking of speaking to God. So again, what he predestined. Um, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul saying this, but when the fullness of the time came, again, fullness of the time, so in the proper time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay? So at the proper time, again, we we have to understand this. this the timing of these things happening are not random. They were not random, not in any way, shape, or form. They were in God's timeline. They were in God's time. And so Jesus, because, and we have to remember that, he is the Paschal Lamb. He is the final sacrifice. He is the final sacrifice. Okay, that final lamb sacrifice. That's why he's referred to that way. He is that final sacrifice. So it has to happen here at this Passover on the day when they sacrifice the lamb. So it's time for him to come and force the, this to a conclusion. And thus he comes. That's what you're seeing here. He's avoided it, avoided it, moved away from it, um, gotten out in different places. He's disappeared from people. He's, again, the, the feeding of the 5,000. They want to make him king. He, he prevented that. Again, but he's fitting it within God's timetable. Again, it's at the at the proper moment. He comes to die at the proper moment. And what we see, which really should hit us, and we could we could definitely go into a deep, deep dive of this, and it's not the purpose of this, but Jesus coming into coming in at this point meets the prophecy we see in Daniel 9, verses 24 and 26. It speaks of the weeks there. If you don't know, it speaks of 69 weeks. What it's talking of is 69 weeks of years. So 69 seven-day periods, or, or 69 seven-year periods of years. So 483 Jewish years. Jesus' entry here fulfills that prophecy. That's the prophecy that he will enter and he will be sacrificed. So Jesus forcing this, forcing this timeline at this point, forcing them to take action on their plans to murder him before they want to do it. This is Jesus meeting that prophecy. One more point, one more time of him making clear that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, as if we needed any more. But again, he continues, and we see that verse after verse after verse through the gospel of john clear indication that jesus is the christ that he is our lord and savior and how amazing that is but how how and 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 the, i guess what it should bring us hope because it's it's a little i the way i've always thought about it, at least when i was younger and especially when i was not saved um you know, yeah, this guy is supposed to be my Lord and Savior. But man, he just got railroaded and he, you know, and on and on and on. And, you know, and, and the beatings and the and then he got crucified and all this. And yeah, that's great that he was resurrected. But look what these people did to him. But it completely changes complexion when we realize that all of this happened exactly as it was supposed to and as it was prophesied and exactly on God's timeline. And Jesus himself took action to maintain that timeline, to maintain God's time and God's order of things. And if that's the case, and, the, and Christ is clear that he lays down his life and he picks it back up, 
What amazing the hope that must bring for you and I, because if he does that, if he is capable of doing that, then he's capable of saving a wretch like me. And that should be the glory and the hope that hits us coming out of this verse. That he came to die at the proper time. All right. That's going to do it for tonight. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Thou great no let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May, may thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I hope that it was edifying and equipping for you. I hope it has helped you to to better understand the scripture and uh, continues to help to shape your Christian walk. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Music.